Bosom Buddies. That, that show's not getting made today. You know, the, the ultimate canceled, you can't find it anywhere movie. Like, Bosom Buddies, they could put those reruns on somewhere and probably not, not run into a protest. The movie that you can't find anywhere is Soul Man. No. no. <laughs> that, that has been scrubbed from the planet. Though I do, I honestly think, this is, this is the most random thing, I honestly believe that at my parents' house, it exists on VCR, on a tape somewhere. I honestly wow. believe You it. have the last copy of Soul Man. I might. Wow. I might. Yeah, that movie... Let's see Thomas probably... Howell know you have it. He may pay you good money for it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, problematic, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember like what this... I mean, I know that he, was, he put on blackface, but I don't remember what the reasoning was. The I believe it was one of those classic, uh, very Bosom Buddies-like, in that you know they dressed as women to save on an apartment. Uh, right. That this, it was... There was a scholarship available to a student of color only, uh, and so he did some sort of intense tanning and ended up, I think, getting the scholarship. But he learned a valuable yeah. lesson in the process, I'm sure. SPF 30? Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein. This week on Gamble On, does a potential sale of the Dallas Mavericks mean casinos are coming to Texas? Is DFS in trouble in California? Can a sportsbook inside a restaurant succeed? And can Jeff stay awake throughout this entire podcast despite the lingering effects of COVID? Stay tuned. <laughs> um, t- coming up, coming up um, on the pod, we're going to welcome Steve Ruddick <sighs> uh, to talk life uh, in the uh, entrepreneurial journalism streets and stick around for the end of the podcast as I explain how ESPN Bet got their first black eye. But first, as always, Eric, plenty of news to discuss. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our lead story this week doesn't sound like a gambling industry story at first. Mark Cuban is reported to be selling the majority ownership stake in the Dallas Mavericks, but the identity of the buyer makes this a gambling story. It's Miriam Adelson, the widow of Sheldon Adelson, owner of Las Vegas Sands. So a family that owns a casino empire would be buying an NBA team in a state that has long been discussing casino regulation. And Cuban has dropped plenty of hints in the past about wanting to open a new arena that is also home to a casino. Miriam Adelson's family released a statement Wednesday that they aim to close the deal by year's end, subject to NBA approval. Does this sale make Texas casino legalization and in turn sports betting legislation more likely? Hard to say, uh, but people are speculating. Uh, There's a lot to discuss here, including the fact that Cuban is extremely politically liberal and Sheldon Adelson was the biggest Republican donor around. Jeff, your reaction to this massive sports business news that could potentially also be massive gambling business news? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, 
you know, reading the tea leaves, the stars are aligning, the ducks are getting in a row, the blah, blah, blah is right. But <laughs> it's a know, lot of cliches in, one, it's a lot, <laughs> in a row. Uh, yes. It's a lot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like an odd investment for the Adelson clan if a casino isn't, you know, in the offing here. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, right now they do not even own a property stateside. Right. Uh, they got to you know, they're trying to do the you know, they're, they're involved in the New York process you know, at the Nassau Coliseum site. But that, uh, to me, that, that was a long shot to begin with. And now it's tied up in courts, you know, with the, you know, Hofstra University not wanting it next door to them. So I don't know. You know, bringing bring a casino to Texas, you know, it, it's always been a little bit of a, you know, plus 300 long shot, right? Right. Uh, like, it's something that will eventually happen, but, you know, who knows when. You know, Jerry Jones obviously has been trying. Couldn't, he can't get it done. Mm-hmm. But it seems like if there's one group that could, you know, it, it's the Adelsons, right? You know, the, the Texas bleeds, you know, Republican. They're Republican. Big money, obviously. And by the way, if it does, like, if it goes through this way, if, if the stars do align and this all works out, can you just imagine what this casino would, would look like? You know, oh, like, yeah. it, it, I mean, we, this is eighth wonder of the world stuff, I think. It might be as big as, like, Las Vegas. Like, not, like, as big as a Las Vegas casino. I mean, as big as Las Vegas. <laughs> a single casino the size of yes. an entire city. Right? Yeah, I mean, right. I would think that this potential casino that is also an NBA arena – uh, and whatever Jerry Jones is then able to build on his own once things get legalized. Yeah, I, I don't know if either of them will be as big as Las Vegas, but these would be two of the most theoretically over-the-top casinos in the country, right. I would think. Um, right. I, I'm finding myself very um, very interested in just like the strange political bedfellows of it all. Um, I don't know if uh, the Adelson family's politics minus Sheldon are any less pronounced, whether... There may be a little closer to the center without him, but if not, it, it tells you that, you know, as we know, money talks and, yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. Cuban is only dug in on his politics up to a certain point. Um, I think there are like some folks on the left who, especially given where the Republican Party has gone the last eight years or so, would refuse to do business with the former number one donor to the party. So so, so this initially caught me a bit by surprise, but again, money talks. And, and in this deal, reportedly, Cuban retains control of basketball decision-making. And yeah, I just I guess it would all be worth it to potentially legalize casinos in Texas to put his arena in the same complex as a casino and then get sports betting happening too, which Cuban is a big believer in as a revenue driver for the NBA. Right. Uh, as far as the politics of it all go, I, I, honestly, I take it as a good sign that people on the far left and people on the far right can still do business together. I mean, I, 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 I almost feel like that's like a uh, it's like a blessing, you know, because I don't know if you heard we're we're we're, we're headed towards uh, the biggest election of our lifetimes, which seems to happen with <laughs> alarming regularity. Right here. Yes. Um, but yeah, so, you know, like, you know, if, if, if the people on the, you know, if the big money people can get along, right. I feel like we're going to be all right in the end. You know? uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be able to take it as, as a sign of that, but uh, I'm not, I'm not so sure we're going to be all right, but sure. It's, it's nice in theory to see, uh, people on, on the far left and the far right, uh, working together. Yeah. Um, I hear Trump and Biden are both going to run. Uh, that's that's what I'm hearing. Yes, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> but not together. I, I, mean, I got people not, on the ground. No, 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 no not, not working team. together no, on this. No, they're going to go against each other. Yeah, I got people on the streets. You know, telling <laughs> wow. me this stuff. Okay, good. I'm glad you're tapped in. Mm-hmm. And honestly, neither of them is is a hundred percent. We don't need to get like deep into it. But uh, no, you know, I think the, my, Nikki Haley's no. starting to to gain sure, some sure. momentum in combination with the prospect of possible jail uh and and then yeah i think it's not impossible that the democratic party convinces 
Biden that he's the wrong choice this year. No, I, there, there, you could honestly say that there's a very, you know, there's a legitimate chance that one of these guys is going to be dead and the other is going to be in prison by this time next year. And mm-hmm. you don't know which one is which. <laughs> I, uh, all right. I don't don't want to anger the what I hope is a, a small percentage of our audience, but still. Uh, I, one other note on this story is that um, this was uh, in Matt Rybaltowski's story about it. He quoted Dave Van Egmond of Better Capital, which uh, the spelling is very interesting to me there. It's better with an O, capital with an A. Those are both words that could go either way. Uh, sure. That the, According to him, the goal here seems to be that Cuban and Las Vegas Sands offer to build a new arena entirely with their own money. And in exchange, the legislature legalizes casinos. Um, Sands spent a lot of money lobbying for this this year. They're in the ears of politicians and uh, in their pockets, too, of course. Uh, but they're, they're in their ears. And I would assume conversations have taken place that lead Sands to believe casino legislation in Texas can pass. Logic says they don't make a $2 billion purchase without being confident that it's going to get this across the finish line. The one thing that is interesting that I, I don't know if I've actually seen that just kind of popped in my head that, you know, they have been very anti-online gambling. The right. Family. So this might be not a good, not good news for online stuff. Yeah. Texas. I wonder whether that has changed at all since uh, Sheldon Adelson died, because yeah, it was it was it was his big right. project to prevent right. online. So I'm I, that I'm not sure about, but that is a potentially very important side topic here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, moving on. Uh, Last week on the pod, we talked about California sports betting hopes. Uh, Nothing exciting there this week, except Victor Rocha continuing to talk trash on Twitter about everyone and everything. And while sports betting appears not to be moving forward at the moment, DFS is suddenly in danger of moving backward in California. Uh, Pick'em games are, of course, receiving scrutiny in several states, but in California, Per an October request from Republican State Senator Scott Wilk, the Attorney General's office is now preparing a formal opinion on the legality of not just Pick'em games, but DFS as well. Seems to me like prize picks and underdog and the other Pick'em games were the reason this topic got onto Wilk's radar. But now DraftKings and FanDuel may be caught in the crossfire. Um, Jeff, DFS is your bread and butter. How devastating would it be to DraftKings and FanDuel and the prize pools for the big tournaments if California got wiped off the table? And do you have any clue if they're safe here and this is really all about prize picks, underdog, etc.? Yeah, I mean, if they got wiped off the table, it'd be a disaster. I think EKG this morning in their e- email said that California is something like 15% of the DFS market. Mm. I mean, that that's that's big, obviously. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, this AG, when he gives his opinion, and I'm sure the opinion's going to be that, you know, to wipe DFS off the map, it's an opinion even though it's from the AG, it's, and I'm sure DK, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel are going to have their lawyers on it. And recent court cases all across the country have come down on the side of this being a game of skill, which it is. Right. I, I do. I mean, it's gambling, obviously, but it's a game right. of skill. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to I'm going to reserve my long term worry for the moment. I'm, I'm not going to let this get it to me just yet. Uh, I, I, you know, I it's worked out everywhere else. Right. Uh, I'd have a hard time seeing that it's not working out here. Uh, I don't think it's just about prize picks and underdog. I think it's about the tribes, pure speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been written that the uh, AG there, you know, has been a supporter of, you know, tribal gambling sovereignty or whatever. Right. So I think I think it's about that. But I, I don't know. I, my, my, I guess my bigger concern, right, my bigger concern is that if it looks like it's going to be, like, expensive, that DraftKings and FanDuel might just say, screw it, because... 
DFS is probably pretty low on both their totem poles these days, you know? Right, right. That's Yeah, I mean, that's that's what's sort of intriguing to me about it is, you know, DFS used to be their whole business, but, right. um, and, and obviously they still care. They, they, they'd rather offer DFS in California than not, obviously, but um, DFS has just become such a tiny part of their operation revenue wise now that they could lose California and maybe not really feel it that much in the big picture. Um, you know, right. what, what they don't want to lose, I think, more than the revenue from DFS in California is that pipeline of California DFS players who will be ready to become sports bettors whenever it legalizes. Um, But um, I I looked up the the revenue just in my home state of Pennsylvania. I I looked up the October numbers. Um, Sports betting generated $48 million in revenue and rising year over year. Fantasy generated $2.65 million and falling year over year. FanDuel and DraftKings specifically did about $37 million in combined sports betting revenue, $2.6 million in fantasy. So as huge as California is, as much as losing it would shrink their player pools for everything, it kind of feels like the financial hit is insignificant to them now that they have sports betting and iCasino and so forth. And actually, I wonder if, uh, if DraftKings and FanDuel would be just as happy with underdog and prize picks being shut down as they would be sad to see their own DFS operation shut down. I just like in terms of the bottom line, have those pick 'em games eaten into their DFS profits so much that they, that they would sacrifice California to, to drive those competitors and out of I, business. I don't know. I don't think so. I, don't, okay. I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, I don't have any data to back this up, but I, I honestly don't think that prize picks and underdog have actually, eaten into FanDuel and DraftKings profit. Like, I think okay. if you're a DFS player, right, now I can't play Pick'em in New Jersey, but if you're a right. DFS player, I don't think you're going to stop playing DFS because you could have Pick'em. You, you, you know, I mean, it's, they're, they're just wildly different. I mean, you know, well, I mean, we all know what Pick'em is, right? But, you right. know, they're wildly different products. So, I I, I mean, I, I, I honestly, the, the whole, I think the reason DraftKings and FanDuel have been, you know, according to Jeremy Levine, lobbying behind the scenes to ban Pick'em is because, as DraftKings is demonstrating, they want to offer the game, but as a right. sports betting product, right? You know, so I, 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 they see that it's popular and and it's fun, right? So I think I think that's the whole reason. I don't think they're I don't think they're after them to get rid of because they they fear them DFS. I think they're 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 after to get rid of them because they want it for themselves. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and I'll, I'll just note that uh, I saw somewhere that. Um, it can take up to a full year for the California AG typically to issue opinions. So, you know, we're having this conversation now, but it, it seems nothing is going to happen immediately here. This is uh, a little more long term. And as you said, you know, they can go ahead and issue an opinion at the end of it. Doesn't really mean anything is necessarily going to change. This shows you how much smarter I am than the AG. I can issue an opinion like in five seconds on yeah? anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. Um, spies like us. Great movie? Yeah, great movie. Great movie, obviously. <laughs> Go ahead. What else? I, sh- I should have come up with something better. Uh, let's see. Top of yeah. my head here. Uh, best fruit? Best fruit? Yeah. Come What's on. the best fruit? A, 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 ripe, a ripe plum. Are you kidding me? Really? I disagree yeah. with that opinion. No, I, I, I'm not a fan of plums. You're wrong. A, a ripe, juicy one where it's dripping <laughs> down your chin? Are you kidding me? Come no. on. Now now I need to clean up while eating? No. No. You, you dripping down outside. my chin is not, a, is not an advertisement in favor. It's, a, it's an outside fruit. <laughs> okay. Didn't realize that. What's a good example of an inside fruit? This will be this will be your final opinion that I ask for. Best inside fruit. 
apple, you know, may, maybe maybe banana. All right. I'm going to send this whole conversation to Dave Damashek to factor in as he determines ultimately the fruit of the year. I wonder if, right. the, if the juicy ripe plum has a chance. Juicy outside fruits include juicy ripe plums, juicy ripe peaches, anything that there's going to be a dribble. Watermelon, outside fruit. You know, yeah. you can't eat watermelon inside. Well, you can if it if it if, it, if it, it depends if it's obviously if it's chopped into pieces and you're eating it with a fork. That's a different kind of uh, watermelon experience, but that can be done inside. That's also a different kind of human experience. I mean, what kind of, you know, do you, tell me you cut your pizza. Oh, you, you don't eat pizza. <laughs> I can't anymore now. But, right, but right. so you, I mean, are you, so you're not a fruit salad person, I guess. No, I'm not a fruit salad person. I, 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 fruit, fruit's a solo affair as far as I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> you're, not, you're not into the intermingling of the different fruit juices. We're not intermingling, no. Okay. No, no, no. All right. All right. I got some good, uh, good, very worthwhile opinions out of you there. And you're right. It did yeah. not take as long as the California AG, AG would have required. There you go. All right. We end the news segment with a minor story. In fact, a story so minor that nobody reported it for more than two months uh, until our colleague Gary Rothstein wrote about it last week. But it's an interesting story, just the same. In February 2022, Chickies and Pete's, a restaurant chain in the Philadelphia area, opened a retail sports book inside one of their suburban locations, an idea that probably would have made a lot of sense a few years ago, back around the time Buffalo Wild Wings was getting attention for partnering with sports book operators. But as of early September... The Chickies and Pete Sportsbook, operated by Parks Casino, was closed. Uh, the sportsbook was only making about forty to fifty thousand dollars in revenue per month, not enough to cover the operating costs. And I take it as a sign of the times. With every smartphone in the state of Pennsylvania potentially functioning as a sportsbook, there may not be any value to having a betting window in a restaurant. You could argue there were bigger news stories this week that could have gotten this third slot on the pod, like Indiana iCasino hopes for next year going away, like Unibet preparing to exit North America, and even Darren Ravel leaving the Action Network. But I find this one more interesting because of how quickly and quietly the experiment failed. Uh, Jeff, could something like this have been a hit in 2018, but not 2023? And uh, operating under the assumption that you've been to a Chickies and Pete's at some point in your life, you a crab fries guy or nah? Yeah, come on, chicken peach, baby. I, I I love crab fries. I haven't been in a while because last time I went, it was like, like you know, like a little after COVID, and like price of crab was like through. It was like ninety dollars for like mm. a plate of king crabs. I'm like, I can't. This is ridiculous. That I can't do. The right. fries are delicious. Crab fries are a delight. Chicken peach is a delight. <laughs> I have nothing but good things to say about chicken peach. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, would this have been a hit in 2018? I mean, maybe for a minute. But right. I mean, it, might, it would have been a hit in 2002, maybe. When nobody had us, you know, when we didn't have phones in our, all of our pockets, you know. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the idea of kiosks and restaurants, I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, they're meant for people who don't routinely wager. Because if you routinely wager, like you have a sports book on your phone yeah. or in my case, 20 sports books on your phone. Um, <laughs> well, seriously, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. so I guess it, I, I guess it, it would be for people who are just, you know, spur of the moment kind of thing. And so I guess that makes sense. Like, you know, in a casino, I guess it makes sense. In a casino, I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I can't, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, unless or unless it's like a, you're creating just a pure sports bar, sports betting like thing. But again, like, I, what am I standing up to go to a kiosk for when I got a you know, in my pocket? It just yeah. doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah, 
I agree. Um, we'll get the chickies and Pete's uh, food discussion out of the way before I dig into the deeper stuff. Uh, I figure some people in our audience may not know what crab fries even are. They're they're crinkle cut fries with Old Bay seasoning. There's no actual crab involved. And then there's a a, a cheese sauce to dip them in, which uh, obviously not an option anti-cheese for me. Anti cheese sauce. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm anti that. Oh, you don't you don't dip them anyway. Okay, all right. No, no, no. I don't. I don't dip them in cheese. I think that crab fries are very good, but maybe a bit overrated if we're calling if they're sort of like the signature calling card of chickies and Pete's. I don't, I don't know that right. they deserve uh, that, that status, but they're, they're definitely worth trying if you've, if you've never had them. Um, the best but, part, you wash your hands for three weeks and it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. They still like, smell like old Bay. Yep. Yep. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but no, but you mentioned the, the King crab chickies and Pete's does have good seafood. I didn't realize what the pricing on it was like these days, or at least during no, no, I maybe it's come back down. Care. Okay. All right. But, but you can't get that stuff at the, at the, uh, like the ballpark mini versions of chickies and Pete's or, or at a food truck, which I now see chickies and Pete's food trucks popping up all over, uh, at, at the ballpark, it's basically just crab fries and chicken fingers. So, and Anyway, all right. So, um, kind of remarkable to me how much fanfare the sports book opened with, and how quietly it shut down. Not that it got a ton of fanfare, but just relatively, uh, relative to to how quiet the closing was. Uh, Gary noticed on the October revenue report that the number of retail sports betting sites in Pennsylvania had gone down from 19 to 18. He inquired with the gaming board and was told it closed September 10th. And Gary wrote about it November 22nd and could find no evidence that anyone else wrote about it first. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on you know what this says. There just isn't much point in using a retail sports book for most people. Even if you like the restaurant setting and you'd rather watch the game at Chickies and Pete's with the crowd instead of at home or at a casino sports book. I get all that. Um but even if I'm there watching the game in that way, I'm still going to place my bets on an app on my phone where they're easy to track and, and I have my online bankroll. And why would I instead get a paper printout of a bet slip? And if my bet cashes sometime after I leave the restaurant, that means I have to come back there later to get paid. Hello. Yeah, it's an idea that made sense prior to widespread online betting. But um, 93% of all sports wagering in Pennsylvania the last fiscal year was done online. I don't imagine anyone else is going to experiment with putting a sports book inside a restaurant unless it's in one of the few states that has retail betting but no mobile betting. To me, this right. this Chickies and Pete's failure kind of marks an end of a theoretical era that never quite happened. Um, maybe, maybe that's kind of overstating it to call an end of an era of any kind, but it's just amazing to me how quickly this failed and, and how much it went out with a whimper. Let me let me ask you this. First, I, I'm Gary noticing this. Okay, like uh -huh. Gary is a he's a detail oriented man. He is. So you've you've been working with me for three years. You're my direct supervisor. You know my strengths. You know my weaknesses. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Over under on the number of months it would have taken me to discover this. <laughs> Infinity. And I'm taking the over. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Our guest this week is a man who's been a member of the gambling media for about 15 years, but actually has been making at least part of his living in this industry for much longer than that, as he was a semi-pro poker player dating back as far as 1999. 
After working for various websites and magazines for years, this August, he launched the Straight to the Point newsletter on Substack, where you can find his insights and analysis every weekday morning at 9 a.m. He is Steve Ruddick. Steve, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. So we're five plus years into the post-PASPA era, and uh, sports betting has gone pretty damn mainstream, particularly with the ESPN brand now attached to a sports book. Think back to 2018 when the Supreme Court made its ruling. What are one or two things about the way these first five plus years have unfolded that you truly did not see coming five years ago? For me, the biggest um, surprise, other than uh, the U.S. actually allowing legal sports betting, has been uh, it feels like the further we get away from the PASPA repeal, the more convoluted the industry is becoming. So we're be- we're starting to see a lot of different models and structures for sports betting that I never would have hum- imagined would happen. I would would have thought that people would have seen the success stories kind of followed in those footsteps. But instead, what we have is everybody pretty much trying to reinvent the wheel. So you, you said uh, that the initial surprise was U.S. even legalizing sports betting. That's something that you've kind of assumed all your life that that would never happen here? Yeah. So, um, again, going back to the online poker fights of the uh, starting in the uh, early to end of the 2000s, it just seems like there was something about online gambling that was very um, antithetic to U.S. states. I feel that when I started following the PASPA proceedings, when New Jersey first did that, it was always seen as kind of a a long shot. I mean, obviously, the supporters were telling you the great arguments they have for it. But uh, as with anything in the gambling industry, a great argument doesn't mean anything's going to really happen. So they, they lost every step of the way up until the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court was their only legal victory in that whole fight. And they had to keep going back to the drawing board. At any point in that process, I've wrote about this before, at any point, it could have just gone off the rails. And that's the end of it. But it just it just happened to get to in front of the right people, <laughs> of right. a very small group of people that decided, you know what, this is, this is okay. And yeah, here we are. And and as far as the uh, the how convoluted it is, and that being the biggest surprise for you, is there like a number one state on your convoluted rankings? You like a and was that what that what you were about to ask him, Jeff? You, you sort of did both. that nod. Uh, I was oh. going to say, what's the what's the state that's that's lunatic central, and what's the states that have, are the perfect ones doing it right? Yeah, so any state that you don't hear about ever. It's probably on the right path. <laughs> so um, you got your Indiana's, your Iowa's, um, New Jersey is a state you really don't hear too much about. Pennsylvania, not much going on there. Just kind of chugging along. Did they get everything right, right out of the gate? No. Did they, are the laws different? Uh, not really. Like Pennsylvania has some increasingly high burdens. Uh, the states that have gone completely off the rails are the ones that are constantly in the news. So um, I'll just point to my home state of Massachusetts as <laughs> one of the bigger offenders of this. I just said the whole industry has discussed this. Uh, gaming regulators are not the most experienced when it comes to gambling. Yet they're making very minute decisions about the industry that are really complex and 
for any of us who have been in the industry for a little bit of time, you look at them and you go, why are you even wasting your time on a 21 plus ad on on this? Or what's the appropriate distance from a college campus to hold a pregame show? And what type <laughs> of celebrity can say what thing? Well, is an influence. Why are we getting into this type of minutia when we can just look at what's working and just build off of that? If I had three wishes, I mean, obviously, I do like the million more wishes thing. But then another <laughs> one of my wishes would be to turn the Massachusetts Gaming, you know, control board, whatever they're called, into a part-time position, non-paid, so that they don't feel the need to like spend every waking <laughs> hour talking about this stuff. Um, you know, listen, your straight to the point newsletter uh, is it's a you know it it is a must read if you're in the industry, um, and I'm jealous of you. Because you're basically doing the same stuff I'm doing, but but you get to reap all the profit and all the risk. So uh, I got to know how is the uh, entrepreneurial life treating you so far? Uh, it's been fun. It's been an interesting interesting journey. So it's um, I I was able to secure some sponsorships early on, so that helped a lot with just being able to ease into it without having to worry about where. Uh, my next uh, factor meal is going to be delivered from. <laughs> um, and I know they don't sponsor me, but big, big fan of factor. Um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been going good. It's growing. It continues to grow. Um, I'm starting to get a lot more feedback, um, whether that's messages or people saying, Oh, I've heard about your newsletter from so-and-so. So that's good too. So yeah, we're uh, approaching four months, right? Yeah. Getting, getting close to four months now. It feels like a lot longer than that, but yeah. <laughs> Any like anything surprise you like off the bat here in these four months or any, you know, anything that you wish you'd done differently or everything's going according to plan as far as you can tell? Yeah, definitely ahead of schedule with uh, my metrics. Um, so I guess the thing that I would do differently was I probably would have done it a few years back mm. instead of waiting <laughs> till now. Um, there's definitely an audience for it. You just got to. My, my whole thing is I try to package things into digestible chunks for the average person and even industry people. I mean, we I'm not an expert on esports, so if I'm reading an esports newsletter or article and it starts using jargon, I quickly tune out. So I, I just try to make everything that's nice and easy for people to read and you get some insights from it, even if you are well into the industry. All right, I have to ask you a poker question since uh, that's part of our shared background. Um, as slowly as online casino expansion is going, online poker is even more stalled out. Understandably, I guess, since it generates relatively little tax revenue. Do you have any expectation that it'll pick up anytime in the next few years? So I always say the next few years, anything, whenever you say to me online casino or online poker and somebody says the next couple of years, it, no, just because of the time it takes to not only legalize the product but then to draw regulations to then do all the testing so there's a lot more testing that goes on with casino products poker um poker even interstate agreements they take anywhere from like nine to 13 months i think has been the current just to pool players so you already have two existing player pools but just to make sure that everything's running properly it takes so long so next couple of years, no. If you're talking, is there going to be any progress legal, legally? Possibly. There's a couple of locales. I, I think 2024 is just dead for almost everything. Um, not only is it a presidential election year, but it just seems like um, a lot of the air has been let out of the balloon at this moment. 
and people are more concerned. Um, there's also been a couple of really bad studies. So last year, Indiana pointed to one that showed some cannibalization. The Maryland study showed a 10% brick and mortar cannibalization. I'm not sure what they were. I know what they're basing it on, but I'd love to see the independent state breakdowns of that. So it's not looking great for online casino, online poker, I'd say over the next two years. Um, I think after that, yeah, of course. So I always caveat that with Rhode Island. Nobody expected Rhode Island last year, right? right. Nobody, there's always these dark horse states that appear out of nowhere. Um, one that isn't quite a dark horse, but Iowa, their casino revenue has been falling. Sports spending revenue is down year over year. So they, once those tax revenues start disappearing, states already have those baked into their budgets. They have to balance their budgets, unlike the federal government. That's where you start to see some action where they're like, hey, we need we need to bolster these revenues, especially the land based revenues. Those are those are big. So if they can find a way to bolster land based revenue, somebody comes along with the right argument. Hey, this also creates jobs. You know, there's all these uh, IT and support jobs in online gambling. So that'll help your your numbers at your land based um, your land based casinos for employment. And that that's usually how it happens is a state needs money. Right. The the thing that kills me about the cannibalization talk is like look at New Jersey where all these online casinos are doing huge business and are presumably cannibalizing some of the land-based casino, but the land-based casino the casino companies are all partnered with the online casinos, so they're making more up for way more than whatever shortfall may be coming from cannibalization. It that's where it doesn't add up for me is that all these people are talking about cannibalization that, okay, if even if you did lose 10% of land-based casino, if you're adding double that in online casino revenue, I, I get what you're saying about that, uh, some land-based jobs, but it, again, the cannibalization, even if there is a little, I, I don't understand why that's such a potent argument against. Yeah. And I think people lose sight of the fact that it's a door that swings both ways. So if you talk to online operators in New Jersey, they'll tell you, most of well this may not as much as it was in the early days but over the first five years of new jersey online gaming the number of um online customers who were known to the casino was very low um some of them had it at 80 i believe golden nugget was like 80 percent. i think tropicana was the the lowest on that metric which was like the 70 percent of their online customers were unknown to them or lapsed customers. So somebody who's not been active for two years. So you start offering land-based rewards through your online system and those people start coming back to the casino. Are they are they at the gaming pits at, at the casino? Maybe, but more or less, they're probably going for a show. They're still using, that's what the casinos are now. I mean, if you're if you're looking at the future of casinos, not to get off on like a total sidetrack here, but if you're looking at the future of casinos, it's not the regional slot parlor. We're going to have VGTs. We're going to have online casinos, those types of things where it's convenient. OK, this is only 20 minutes away from my house. That's why I go to the slot parlor. That's why I go to this uh, racino. Those are not going to be the casinos of the future. The online and probably a lot of VGT, VLT routes are what you're probably looking at down the road for convenience gambling. When you're talking about casinos, you're looking at more of these, what you're seeing people want to build, the Chicago casino, New York casino, the Texas casino with the whole Adelson Mavericks news today. So you're seeing these 
huge properties that generally take in 50%, 60% of their revenue from non-gaming. This industry, I'm finding out, it, it, no one agrees on anything. You know, g- g- you know, give us an A, B option, and we're all looking for C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Like, you know, we might even get to double digit, you know, double A, double B. Um, but the one topic that I think stands out above all else that no one can agree on and probably can't even agree on what it means is responsible gambling. Um, if you had a magic wand, where would you direct uh, responsible gambling and messaging going forward? I guess really what I'm asking is what, what do you think works in the RG arena and what is complete shit? Yeah. So first off, I disagree with everything you just said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So it, the RG is a really interesting topic because it's been it it just hasn't had any focus for decades, and then all of a sudden we're seeing this increase in focus. So I think the problem is twofold. Um, to what works? That's the million dollar question because we don't know what works. No, nobody has any idea. Anybody who tells you this works has no idea what they're talking about. You saw that with the Massachusetts numbers where 1% of people are using limit setting tools. How much have you heard people trumpet limit setting tools over the past year or two? Oh yeah, people are, we have all these different tools. Okay, great. But one out of a hundred people is actually taking advantage of those. So I think what we're seeing, so number one, we don't know what works. Number two, we're spending a lot of time and energy in things that either don't work or are inconsequential. So a lot of the stuff we just spoke about with the MGC, um, it, it, 21 plus. Okay. Is that really, who, who's that targeted to who there's something in New Jersey where they wanted operators to intervene at a certain point with either an email, a call that was an escalating process. I don't know about you, but if somebody called me on the phone and was like, Hey, Steve, we're kind of concerned about your eating habits. <laughs> I don't think that phone call would go very well if i even answered it right right in the first place so there's there's a lot of a a lot of good intentions but i think the focus really needs to be on um the the lower hanging fruit of stuff that we can actually accomplish so i compare it to an apple tree so there's all this really high fruit and there's no ladder and people are still trying to get it right and it just it's never going to happen and then there's all this fruit on the ground that people are picking up and going, hey, look at this great thing. Look, I, look how easy that was. And it's rotten. It's not working. Mm-hmm. And then there's the fruit just sitting there waiting to be picked that nobody's really going after. Um, a lot of it's like just messaging. Like I, you, I talked to, there was um, a recent commercial that uh, the leagues put out an ad for responsible gambling. And I'd, it's something about every one of those. I immediately, within a second or two, know it's a responsible gambling ad and not a gambling ad. There, there's a there's a tone shift in them that really shouldn't be there because the compliance department and the responsible gambling department is creating those ads. And then the marketing department is creating your gambling ads. You know, these are and then you try to combine the two and you say, well, let's get the marketing team. They have very different goals. Yeah. The the goals for them are 100 percent misaligned with what the compliance department is trying to do. So I think there's just a a really it's a everybody's in a difficult spot. 
And I think the influx of money recently hasn't helped, which you would think it would. But I think what it's done, it's brought a lot of people into the space who now see opportunity. So instead of people who were, hey, we need to, anybody who was in the responsible gambling space four years ago or more is there because they are very invested in it. They love, they want to help. Newer people, I, I cast a more skeptical eye at. And not that this doesn't apply to everybody that's coming in that's newer, obviously, but you have to wonder what their motives are. There's a lot of grant money going around. There's a lot of there's a lot of sponsorship money. There's a lot of money in trainings. There's all these different things. There's a lot of new, I don't even know what you'd call them, but certifications that I don't even know what you're certifying. So as a, somebody who teaches martial arts, when somebody says, oh, like, do you have to get certificates? It's like, no, that's the weird thing about it is it, you don't need one to teach it. So it's just kind of the same thing with responsible gambling. And but there are people that who sell martial arts certifications from major organizations like in Japan and Okinawa. And you spend a lot of money to get one and then you put it on the wall. But it doesn't mean you know anything more than the guy down the street. So it's, it's I see that in responsible gambling when we're looking at it. There's just this general idea that, oh, if as long as I tick off this box, I'm good. Yeah, it does protect you as a company. Like, hey, look, we have all these certifications. We have all these approvals from all these different organizations. But is it really doing anything to help the customer? Is is it doing anything? I, I guess what I would say is um, even myself, who I've been very invested in RG for a long time, like I, I still change my mind on things all the time. Like I used to say gambling should be entertainment. That was one of one of my things for years should be entertainment now i'm like no it really shouldn't be because that's it's it's not precise enough mm. so my new idea which probably might not be my idea in a couple of years is it should be an experience and you want people to have a good experience with it they are going to have bad experience with it we've all gone to restaurants you, you go to restaurants where you have good experiences every now and then you have a bad one right that that's how it should be so I think if we gambling can kind of figure out what the right messaging is for people so that RG message works for a problem gambler and somebody who's not a problem gambler, but the message still works for them. That's what that's what you're kind of looking for. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> Whereas I have a really bad stomach, so every restaurant trip <laughs> is a gamble for me. So uh, probably a bigger gamble than sitting down at a blackjack table. Really, <laughs> I think I think my uh, my my ROI is pretty negative on uh, the restaurant risk. But uh, probably a topic I should cut off there before I get into any graphic detail <laughs> and absolutely ruin the interview. Uh, Steve, it's been great talking to you. Uh, I'll direct our listeners toward uh, your Twitter at Steve Ruddick, uh, and of course your uh, your newsletter, which can be found at straighttothepoint.substack.com. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Steve. Appreciate it, guys. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
We'll get to bagels and locks shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll, where we're being responsible, we're grinding. Uh, we attempted no parlays last week, and uh, small sample size, of course, but we had a winning week. Uh, I followed Captain Jack's advice and bet on a big minus money boxing favorite that I thought was close to a sure thing, and uh, indeed he was. Jamal Charlo won easily as a minus 670 favorite. We won 100 bucks. I only went one for three on my $55 bets on NFL unders. Started with a win in Steelers-Bengals, but then lost both afternoon games, Browns-Broncos and Chiefs-Raiders. So that cost us $60 overall, and I probably would have lost slightly less if I just made a small three-leg parlay bet. Um, I got it back and then some, though, with the Timberwolves covering against what turned out to be the Embiidless Sixers. We won $70 on that. And Jeff, you split your two player props. You lost 114 on the Goff passing yards under because the game followed the wrong script with the Lions playing from behind. But you won 120 on a Brandon Cooks anytime touchdown. Uh, And also, this one is far from graded yet, but you bet last week on the Seahawks to miss the playoffs. They lost as expected. They're now 6-5. and If they lose as expected to Dallas tonight, you can potentially jump on the hedge bet next week to lock in that profit. But in the meantime, for the week, we won $116. We're now down by 4,663. We also have 2871 on hold in futures bets, and that leaves us with $2,466 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, Jeff. All right. Um, again, I'm going to remain mostly responsible this week. So uh, okay. let, let's start with tonight's game, Cowboys-Seahawks. I, I, I want to put two bets down here. The first okay. one uh, over at FanDuel, you can still get the Cowboys given an eight and a half points. It's nine or nine and a half everywhere else. I, I think the Cowboys are just looking like world beaters right now. I, they're home. I, the Seahawks are banged up. I, it just, I don't know. I like it. So let's go 114 to 100. It's minus 114. Okay. Um. Then I want to do a little SGP, uh, $20 to win 340 It's like 1599 odds. odds. Okay. Um, we're rounding up. I want the Cowboys to cover, So we're, and then I'm going to give any time touchdowns, a pair of them. One from DK Metcalf, one from Jake Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson has the most targets in the red zone by any tight end in football, and second most targets overall. Uh, Metcalf has the eighth most targets overall in the red zone. Uh, why not? You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm just, I'm going with math a little bit there and I'm, you know, a little bit, uh, just a little right, bit. Right. And, uh, you know, but I, I like the odds, you know, it's, you know, plus 1600 there. I, and I think to me, the Cowboys are a gimme and just, you know, g- give me the touchdowns. Just give me the touchdowns. So that's okay. it. That's a little one. It's a, I'm better than betting a hundred dollars to do that. True. 20 bucks. True. 20, yeah, bucks. 20, 20 bucks. We can afford to lose. I, I do. It does worry me anytime either of us ends a bet with why not. Uh, probably Why not? Not, Why not? <laughs> not, I, I not, mean, not I, the sharpest of logic uh, when, when we're saying those words, but um, yeah, one of these is going to hit someday, right? Yeah, and I, I was look, I was playing around with the SGP. You know, you, you know, I, I look, I did like first, I did like a Ferguson and CD Lamb touch anytime touchdowns, uh-huh. and no Metcalf, and the odds were much worse. You know, because Metcalf right. scoring, uh, you know, with and the Cowboys covering, these are not, you know, these are right, not right. correlated, obviously. So yeah. I, I, but I like it. I just like it. Okay. All right. I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm glad you kept it small. Uh, we'll, uh, kept it small. See, what, see what happens. A little something to root for tonight. Um, for my first bet, I'm going with the Captain Jack boxing strategy again, because for the second week in a row, there's someone who should be like a minus a thousand favorite who I think the sports books have mispriced. We have Ryan Garcia as low as minus 400 at ESPN bet for his comeback fight after his high profile defeat to Javante Davis in April. He's taking on Oscar Duarte, 
who has a nice record, but he's a club fighter. He's not a world-class boxer. He has a straightforward style. The talent gap here is massive. Duarte's never beaten anyone good, and his one loss is to someone not especially good, uh, like Charlo Benavidez last week. This is a mismatch. This is a soft touch for Garcia. I really don't think his chances of losing are above 5%, yet he's minus 400. Um, I like this one even more than I liked the Charlo bet last week. So let's go 600 to win 150. Makes for an uncomfortable sweat, but uh, it'll pad the bankroll a bit. Good, good. Go for it. Okay. Uh, all right. I got over at Bet365 at plus 120, Najee Harris uh, to get into the paint this week. Uh, I, I kind of I love this bet. The, the Steelers are at home. Harris, uh, you know, despite kind of splitting carries with Warren, mm-hmm. he is their red zone guy. He's got 10 carries, uh, especially inside the 10. He's got 10 carries inside the 10. Warren only has two. Uh, Harris has three carries inside the five. Warren has zero. The Cardinals' rush defense is abysmal. They give up the second most yards in the NFL. Uh, I love Harris to get in the end zone this week. Love him so much, I'm willing to bet $100 to do it. Ooh, all right. 100 to win 120, huh? Yep, yep. All right. Uh, I do. That does sound really good. I hadn't uh, hadn't looked at those player props and all yet, but uh, as soon as we hang up this call, I think I'll throw a little something down. Probably not a full hundred dollars of real money, but a little something down. I no, 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 touchdown. no. I would never. No, no. And I, but I, I do like Harris. I, I like Harris getting the end zone. I really okay. Like all right. Um, I have two smallish NFL bets this week. Um, I'm trying another under. My mistake last week was not focusing on primetime games. Um, I know that that it's fluky to an extent, all these primetime unders. I'm not sure if it's all explainable with science, but it is a crazy trend. So I I, I figured I'd take a primetime under out of the three primetime games to choose from this week. Jags-Bengals on Monday night stands out. Uh, The line is 38.5 at FanDuel with minus 114 juice on the under. I'll pay that rather than a minus 110 on 38 points. Um... I'm banking on one of those ugly night games where a guy who shouldn't really be an NFL quarterback, Jake Browning, can't get much done. And on the other side, Trevor Lawrence, he's just been kind of okay this season. 12 touchdown passes through 11 games. Um, I think we'll see drives stalling out, lots of field goals. I'm predicting 19-13 Jags stays under. And uh, if I hit the exact score, 19-13 Jags, I'm, I'm just adding a zero to the end of our bankroll. I think I think I'll, we'll deserve to do that. That's fair. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, $57 to win 50 under 38 and a half. And my other bet, I like the Packers on the money line at home against the Chiefs. It's as high as plus 220. So at that number, if the Packers have more than a 31.25% chance of winning, there's value. And in Lambeau at night, nice and cold, the Packers have been playing well. Off wins over the Chargers and Lions. Jordan Love is gaining confidence. He's starting to connect with Christian Watson. We know the Chiefs are up and down. You know, they lost to the Broncos a few weeks ago. They fell two touchdowns behind the Raiders last week. They have these flat games, or at least flat halves. I just feel like there's a little bit of value at plus 220. So let's go $50 to win 110 on the Packers to win here and get to a 6-6. Six and six. This, is, this is a massive game for them. I, I think they're a live dog here. Uh, I wasn't listening because I was doing something else. 19 at FanDuel, <laughs> Jaguars 19, Bengals 13 is yours for 150 to 1. All right, 150 Let's to 1. So so it. instead of just uh, risking nothing and adding a zero at the end. So yeah. uh, so say that, so Jags 19, Bengals 13, 150 to 1. Yeah. I just looked at one. I just looked at FanDuel. I didn't look anywhere else. Okay. So and how much did 5 bucks? So what would that win us? 3000? No. I did the math wrong. 
seven fifty. Yeah. Five bucks to win seven fifty. All right, fine. We'll Why not? It. All right. Why not? Why and, not? And we reserve we reserve the right to find better odds on that because I just I, I just quickly okay. looked. Okay. That's here. that's that's fair. You'll let me know if you find something better. Okay. So yeah, which I'm trying to do now while talking at the same time. Which is, <laughs> you can look it, it up after. Out, it's fine. It's fine. It turns out it is not easy to do. Um, right. All right. I also like an under um, this week, which is something that I normally don't do. Okay. Um, that under would be. 47 and a half in the Texans Broncos game. Mm-hmm. Um, my rationale behind this is you're talking Denver very slowly because yeah, you're still I'm trying done, to I'm do done, two I'm things done, at once, yeah, aren't you? No, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> uh, the Denver defense has been insane of late. I mean, they held the Chiefs to nine points. They kept Josh Allen in check. Uh, they're playing good ball. When they're yeah. on offense, they want to slow the game down. Uh, the Texans, the, you know, the Jags kind of kept them in check a little bit this week. And their, their hot run before that was against the Bucks, Bengals, and Cardinals. And the best thing I could say about those three teams' defenses is that they usually play 11 players at a time. Um, I really like the under in this. Unit and a half. 165 to win 150. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I like it. What do you want from me? <laughs> I, want you, I want you to appreciate the shrinking size of our bankroll and risk you smaller percentages of it. Yeah, but you that's a sure thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm knocking wood. I, I literally physically knocked wood after I said that. But uh, all right, look, it may pay off, or we may be fake broke soon. So we'll see. Yeah. All right, uh, 165 to one win 150 yeah. under 47 and a half. All right. Uh, so the NBA in-season tournament bracket is out, and I have uh, two teams that I'm going to bet on to win that tournament: one medium shot, one long shot. The medium shot is the Phoenix Suns. Best price I found on them is plus 650. They're the four seed in the West based on their performance in the in-tournament games, but they're actually the best team by actual record of the four Western Conference teams that made it. They start out at the Lakers. They have Booker and Durant healthy for now. If those guys stay healthy, they can beat anyone. Uh, Plus 650 is a good price on the Suns to win three games. Let's bet $40 to win 260. And then my long shot is the Indiana Pacers, as high as plus 1,400. They open against the Celtics as underdogs, but they will be at home. And this Pacers team, they're the kind of young, hungry, inconsistent, but talented team that, you know, they could get blown out in the first game, and that's that, or they could get hot and go on a run. Uh, Halliburton's for real. This is a mini March Madness type of tournament. He could be that guy who steals the spotlight in March Madness style. Again, I think plus 1400 is an excellent price here to take a shot on them winning three straight games. So we'll go $20 to win 280 on them. So in total, we're risking 60 to return 300 if either the Pacers or Suns win this thing. We'll see. Maybe I'll feel stupid next week and we'll learn that, you know, the in-season tournament, the move is to go chalky, pick the Celtics or the Bucks, something like that. But for now, with no prior history of this tournament to base anything on, I'm betting on a less chalky outcome. Good. I like it. All right. And it is now time for bagels and locks and um, perhaps false advertising to call these locks. But then again, it's all all tongue-in-cheek. How hot we started? We did. We started hot. Uh, we are not presently hot, uh, especially not you. But uh, yeah. we both lost last week. I had the under in Chiefs Raiders. I slipped to six and four. You had same game. Uh, you had the Raiders plus nine and a half. Had to be feeling good when they went up fourteen yeah. nothing. No uh, then they got outscored thirty one three the rest of the way. So you fall to five and five. Got to get you up over five hundred again, Jeff. What's your lock this week? I'm, I, for the first time ever, I'm going with one of my bets. I'm, I'm sticking with the under and the Texans. Okay. Broncos. Okay. 
you're all the way dug in on that. And uh, yeah. All right. Um, my lock is actually on the same game. We're doing this, I guess. Last week, I had the under and you had the underdog. This week, you have the under and I have the underdog. It's the Broncos plus three and a half at the Texans. I'm getting the yeah. hook. I've got the hottest team in the AFC. Good matchup. Good coaches on both sides. Both teams are six and five. It's a, it's a very even matchup. So three and a half points for the home team. That That's too much. Give me the road dog Broncos to cover here. This game's coming down to a last second field goal either way. I'm, I'm just playing the number Denver plus three and a half. Absolute guaranteed lock. Asterisk. <laughs> Knock on wood. Asterisk. 52.38% of the time. It works every time. Guaranteed lock. There you go. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Steve Ruddick. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. So ESPN Bet got their first taste of bad PR this week, even the New York Post covered it, as they graded a parlay a push when one leg pushed, but the other four legs won. Uh, it's a parlay plus in their language, and basically anytime there's a push in one game, all the legs in that game are going to get pushed. It was an SGP, and so the whole thing got pushed when the Eagles won by three, which landed right on the minus three, the better bet, uh, which makes this worse. If that if one of the legs lost, the better would have lost per ESPN bet rules. Hmm. Others, uh, you know what? I don't give a shit. Listen, <laughs> Read, listen, betters, listen, read the rules before you bet. You know, some books are going to recalculate. Some are going to avoid one leg. Some avoid the bet. Some, 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 some. FanDuel, for what it's worth, seems to be the only book that will recalculate if one leg of an SGP, you know, gets voided or whatnot. So maybe let's just use them for these types of bets. And while I will freely admit that ESPN bet policy is lousy, and it really is lousy, it is what it is. Read the rules, people. Don't get mad when the books follow them. Gamble on.